0: Father, we uh, thank you that your words brings hope and confidence for the biggest things in life. Father, please, would you show us that today? Show us what great hope the Lord Jesus brings by his work, by his death, by his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Death smiles at us all. All a man can do is smile back, said Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor. Death will be a great relief. No more interviews, said Catherine Hepburn. (laughs) To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure, said Albus Dumbledore, a.k.a. Rowling. I'm the one that's got to die when it's time for me to die, so let me live my life the way I want to, said Jimi Hendrix. I think between them, those four quotes capture quite well people's approach to the topic of death. One approach, to to laugh it off, to make a joke of it, to make light of it, or to ignore it, to pretend as though it's not going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a long, long, long time yet. We try and rationalise it, make it normal. I think my question is, well, do any of those approaches work? Do they help? Are they right? Death has been thrust into our consciousnesses like perhaps never before, COVID pandemic. Daily death counts come appearing on our news screens. The war in Ukraine. Recently the tragic earthquakes. Again, death is thrown into our consciousnesses. And maybe it is particularly in your consciousness at the moment. Maybe because of age or health. Facing death. My question is, does laughing enough, does pretending it's not going to happen help? It might be okay when you're in the pub with your friends, but is it okay when you're in the hospital, by the hospital bed, or in the bed yourself? Well, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ brings us a real solid foundation and hope and confidence in the face of death. Jesus offers a certain hope that Although, yes, death is real, and though it is a tragic corruption, yet it need not be feared by his people. Now, again, you may be wondering how one of the Jewish annual feasts, the the, the feast that God gave his people to celebrate, how how that might take us here. But bear with me, it does. Uh, If you're new here today, if you're first Sunday with us (laughs) We are spending these seven weeks looking at seven annual festivals that God instituted for his people so long ago. But, but it's not just an academic, interesting exercise to, uh, to see what they did, but actually, we're seeing how each of them has a fulfillment, finds a fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. And so let's. First off, though this, this morning, see what the first, the feast of first fruits. Say that many times. A tongue twist, isn't it? The feast of first fruits. The feast of first fruits was all about. Firstly, the feast of first fruits was all about thanksgiving and praise, thanksgiving and praise. So you can see in verse nine and verse ten of Leviticus twenty-three that God is giving Moses instructions for the people for when the people have entered the promised land. So at the moment, that the people are making their way there. But God is pointing the people forward to the time when they are going to be settled and established in the land that God was giving them. To the time when they have uh, got their fields and have planted their crop and have reaped a harvest. And once again, this... Festival is very closely connected with the ones that we've already looked at together. So I put it here. If you remember that these festivals started off in the first month for the Jews, which is kind of our March-April time, and it started off with the Passover, fourteenth day of the month. It started on a Friday, or what we would call a Friday, and then following straight on from the Passover. Then came the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So literally the next day started on the Saturday and ran for seven days. Uh, and it started off, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, with a Sabbath, a day of rest, a time when the people got together, both the first and the last day. And the Feast of first fruits took place within the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it took place the, the day after the Sabbath, so on Sunday, and log that one away for a bit later on. Let's see what they were to do. What was the first of feast of first fruits about? Have a look at verse ten. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So first fruits, the first of the harvest, uh, apparently would have been barley. That would have been the one that had, uh, would ripen first. And they were to gather some of their first fruits of the barley, gather it into a sheaf and take it to the Jerusalem and give it to the priest. And they were to do this before they'd eaten any of it themselves, before they had sold it to anyone. Now, this was the first fruits. And they were to take it and give it to the priest. And the priest, did you see there, was was to wave it before God, which kind of seems a little bit funny, but it's just a a picture of of offering saying, this is for you. So if I was to get a £10 note out of my wallet and just kind of wave it in front of you, be like, this is for you, you know, I'm waving it here. Well, so the priest would wave it before the Lord. It's a symbolic saying, this belongs to you. And this this offering of the the barley being waved before the Lord was to be accompanied with three other sacrifices. So firstly, verse 12. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. So they were to get, gather this lamb without blemish, and they were to also to sacrifice this. It was to be a burnt offering. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word for, for burnt offering is, is literally kind of to go up in smoke, to ascend. So they were to burn it, and, and the smoke was to go up to the Lord as like a pleasing aroma. And it was a sacrifice which acknowledged the people saying, look, I have sinned against you. I have done wrong against you. As Alex explained just before the confession, that attitude against God that says, I don't want anything to do with you. And they were to offer this lamb as a recognition of the fact they'd sinned and a recognition that they deserved to die. However, the lamb was going to die in their place. Blood, the the, the lamb that shed its blood was to, to, as it were, to uh, to cover their own sins. So firstly, there was a lamb. And then moving on in verse 13, we we see grain and a wine offering. Verse 13. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah, which is about three kilograms, roughly, uh, of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord. With a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be a wine, uh, of wine, a quarter of a hin, which kind of, uh, I don't know how much was that? About three point five liters. So there's this grain offering and wine offering, and again, the purpose of these was a, a, as an act of thanksgiving. So they take some of the grain, mix it some of the oil, and again, it was is that that. Um, you know, you get baking bread smell nice. There's aroma going to the Lord. And was to be accompanied by this wine offering. And uh, today, you know, we, we, we think of wine in, that, in celebration, uh, happy times of, of meals, of parties. It was a sign that actually the, these sacrifices weren't done begrudgingly. It wasn't, oh, I've got to do this. You know why? This is a joyful act. And as we said, this is such an important thing, this sacrifice. Then in verse 14, it tells us that, that they weren't to, to eat any of it themselves before, um, before they'd done this. And this was a, to be something they were going to do through, for all generations. So that's what they were to do. What did it mean? Well, the Feast of first Fruits, as I put in the heading, was all about thanksgiving and Praise. Deuteronomy 26 explains um, actually in really clear detail what they were to do as they gave over this um, sheaf of their their crop. They were actually given some set words to say, and it included them saying, the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labour. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they finished with, and behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. So as they handed this over, they were to recount their history of how they were in slavery, but how God had brought them out and God had established them in the land. And they were to say, here, Lord, thank you for this grain that you have given me, and then it finishes with God telling them what they should do, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you, and to your house. This is about thanksgiving and praise of all that God had done for you and for your households, and so the the feast of first fruits. It was thanksgiving and praise that God had brought them out of Egypt. It was thanksgiving and praise that he had brought them into the promised land. It was thanksgiving and praise that he had given them abundantly out of his grace. It was a recognition that actually everything they had was God's gracious gift to them. He was the provider. He's the king of creation. He therefore is the one. Who's given it all to them? He's the generous provider, and as an expression of that thanksgiving and praise, they came with the first fruits of their harvest and brought it to the Lord as an offering to Him. Do you note those that it is the the first fruits? You know, if you're familiar from church or school with the harvest festival that sometimes some people <coughs> celebrate here. Um, if you're familiar with that, that usually happens in a kind of autumn time, at the end of the harvest, once everything's been gathered in, before the rains come and the farming, the, the kind of you move on to the next year's crop. That that came at the end and we've got everything and here, here's an offering. But no, here for the Jews, this was the first fruits. This was celebrated at the beginning, not the end of the harvest. This was the first before they knew what was going to come an act of trust Now if the harvest didn't come for them there was no Tesco to knit down to and pick things up an expression of trust saying Lord you're going to provide for us you're going to give us this harvest everything comes from you Lord isn't the principle of giving thanks for God's gracious provision something we should be mindful of I was struck. I just started doing a one to one, and we were looking at Colossians 1. And Paul says, Look, there are four marks of a life that is worthy of the Lord, that is pleasing to Him. And one of those things is thankfulness. And Paul says in that letter that in his kind of key verses, of the whole book, he says to them, He wants them to be rooted and built up, abounding in thankfulness. Being thankful is a mark of being one of God's people. And I think by and large we're not as thankful as we should be. One word that perhaps describes our current society and generations is that entitlements. We feel like we're entitled to so much. So of course I've got all this. I'm entitled to it. Right? It's God's gracious provision. And not being farmers who are literally, well, <coughs> forgive me if you've if you got your allotment, but not being farmers who are digging out gr- of the ground the food they're going to eat, where food turns up in the supermarket on a delivery van, actually it's easy to forget that ultimately these things come from the Lord. And can praise him for his provision. And, and more than just simply a mumbled grace before a meal time. That's in your family Bible times, going round. Asking everyone to simply share one thing they want to be thankful for, they're thankful for that day. One thing that God has graciously given them. Thanksgiving and praise. That was what the, the Feast of the First Fruits was about for God's people. And that is a helpful principle for us. But interestingly, this is not the direction that the New Testament fulfillment <clears throat> takes us in. So let's turn now to the fulfillments and how the Lord Jesus is the reality, the substance that this festival is pointing to. And secondly, we see there is hope in the face of death. <coughs> hope in the face of death. Once again, I do want to remind you that the whole of the Bible, every part of it is pointing to Jesus. And so this festival finds its fulfilment in him. Well, to see how, let's come to our second reading. So you can lose your place, but turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that is on page 1157. One, one, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be starting at verse 20. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a a fantastic chapter. I'm only going to read a couple of verses. Read the whole thing. It's wonderful. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus and his people. But just before the bit that we're going to read here, um, Paul has basically said, look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we Christians, we are all just wasting our time. We should be pitied, in fact. It's so bad. But so Paul begins, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man Adam came death, uh, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. By Jesus has come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ uh, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus has been raised. If, you, if, you, if Jesus has been raised, we're wasting our time. No? Jesus has been raised. And you see the link that is made to the festival of the first fruits. Twice in those verses, Jesus' resurrection is described as the first fruits. Paul, as it were, is saying, look, cast your minds back. Think back to that festival. And just as back then, God's people, they, they did their harvest and they got the first of it and gave it to God. And that first harvest was a sign of what was to come. Well, so Jesus' resurrection was like the first fruits. It was the beginning, the start of much more than what was to come. And you're thinking, okay, maybe, okay, maybe this is about the first three. So let me also remind you back here, take you back to when this celebration first happened. Let's run through it again. The Passover happened on Friday. When was Jesus the lamb crucified? On Passover, about the time when that lamb would have been sacrificed. And Jesus rose again Sunday, Easter Sunday. The day after the Sabbath. We see even the timings of this first establishment of the festival. There's a little pointer to the fact that it finds its fulfilments here in Jesus. But there is one very significant difference between that first celebration, or those first celebrations of the Feast of First fruits and the person and work of the Lord Jesus. You see, in the the Feast of the First fruits, it was the people who were taking what was really precious to them, the first of their produce, and giving it to God. Whereas with Jesus, it's not the people making that offering, it's God. God giving up, as it were, what is most precious to him, giving up his son, the lamb, in order that his people might be saved. He, God the Father offered up Jesus. Jesus willingly went to the cross and by his death paid for sin, set free from sin. But then his resurrection followed death. He, as it were, blazed a trail through death in which his people then might follow. And in these verses here, did you again notice how Jesus, the first fruits was described And he, in verse 20, is the first roots of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep. It's a common description of of Christians who have died in the New Testament. And it's a helpful one, isn't it? You know, when we put down our our, our toddler for a nap, sometimes he needs waking up. Not as often as I'd like, but sometimes he needs waking up. You know, but just as easy as I can walk in and, and wake him up, so it's as easy for God. To raise Christians from the dead. It's a helpful description. It's a comforting description, isn't it, for God's people? That death is not final. Death is not the end. Resurrection follows death. And Jesus is like that first bushel of barley. He's the sign that there is more to come. Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of this great resurrection harvest. This harvest that's on its way. His was the first that's promised so much more. And when Jesus returns again, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep and they will be raised bodily. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. As Christians today, we, we, we don't celebrate the, the feast of first fruits and good, we, we don't. But we celebrate its fulfillment, don't we? On Easter Sunday. Not long away now, six weeks' time we'll say. So. When that day comes around, when Easter Sunday comes around, think again back to this feast of first fruits. Think again how Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the first fruits, the first of men. His life guarantees as If we are trusting in him, then we too will be raised with him at his second coming. Not not just in spirit, but in body too. Risen to real, physical resurrection, glorious bodies. The physical eternity on a new air. I think sometimes we can get a bit unsure of that. Will Jesus really, ladies, is this true? Will, will, will Jesus really raise me to, to this new life? It's hope beyond the grave. With having those thoughts, think back to that first Easter Sunday. Jesus was the first, the first fruits of his people. I'm going to say, if you're not a Christian, if, you, if you're still looking into the things of Jesus, I say, what is your hope in the face of death? Do you have any hope in the face of death? Maybe you're someone who, who wants to ignore it, pretend it won't come. The death is that that's universal statistic. One out of one dies. What is your hope for that day? Jesus offers wonderful, rock-solid hope of life beyond death. And We know that's true because he first rose as the first fruit. So it gives us confidence, it gives us hope when facing death ourselves. Helps us, perhaps even this morning as I've been speaking, you've been thinking of a a loved one, a a Christian loved one who's died. Well, great hope for them. And for you, that you will see them again, as they too will be risen from the grave. Perhaps you're facing the death of a loved one who is a believer again. Again. It is painful. It is heartbreaking, the separation. But it, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus rose. His people will do. And one of the biggest things that 1 Corinthians 15 picks up and on, one of the biggest applications is where he ends, where he says, look, because Jesus is the first fruits, because he raises, rose from the dead, because he will raise people from the dead, your labor is not in vain. So keep going. Maybe you're a little bit weary in your Sunday school lesson or in your, in your Connect study or helping at club or, or in your evangelistic endeavours with people. You're a bit weary. Is there any point to this? Is this going anywhere? Well, yes. Yes. Because Jesus rose as the first fruits. Actually, our, our labour is not in vain because there will be an eternal harvest. Keep going. The service is worthwhile. So we can see how this festival, established thousands of years ago, it reminds us and helps us, and reminds us to be thankful for all that God has graciously given us. Firstly, salvation, but also in his abundant, gracious provision of all things. But It also is this little pointer, big pointer, big pointer to Jesus who rose as the first fruits and as he was offered up the first of many laughing off death, rationalising it, ignoring it doesn't help In Jesus we have a rock solid proof that there is life beyond and hope beyond let's look forward to that day and let's pray But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Father, we praise you so much, not only for Good Friday, where Jesus died, paying for for our sin. We'd be acceptable to you. Thank you, too, though, that he rose again in glory and triumph, the firstfruits of his people, the first of many first of an abundant harvest thank you for the hope that that gives us and to all who are trusting in him please would we remember that cling to that and change our hearts by that wonderful truth we pray in jesus name amen